Hey, Dad. Yes, little Jimmy? I got a question about Easter. Okay, little Jimmy, what's your question? So, where in the Bible does Jesus poop out the eggs? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Well, I just, you know, the chocolate eggs, when did, when did Jesus poop them out? And I mean, I assume they're chocolate because they represent the feces of Christ. Uh, Jimmy, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's not, that's not where, where eggs and Easter, that's not the eggs Easter connection. Oh, okay, well then why do we have eggs for Easter? Well, you see, it's more of a, of a, of a metaphor, you know? Okay, what's the metaphor for? Well, you, well, you see, because, um, uh, it's a metaphor about, um, well, you see, Jesus, he, uh, what, I mean, an egg represents new life, and so we all have new life in Christ. There you go. Uh, Jimmy has, see, right there, simple, simple enough. The eggs represent our our new life in Christ after the resurrection. There we go. Okay, so what about the bunnies? I'm, I'm sorry? Where do the bunnies come in? Where do the bunnies... Oh, uh, uh, so obviously if the, if the egg represents new life in Christ and the bunny brings us the... Uh, brings us the egg then is the egg like uh, the bunny like our pastor or something? Uh, I, I, um... You know what, uh, Jimmy? Uh, yes, the bunny is like our pastor. Absolutely. 100%. The bunny is like our pastor. Okay, so that explains the eggs and the bunny. Quick question. Why does the pastor hide the eggs from us instead of just giving us the new life in Christ? Doesn't that mean that he's saying we have to work extra hard because life in Christ is hidden? Jimmy, go put on your Sunday's clothes. We're going to church. And I don't, I don't care how long we make this conversation, we're still going to church. Dad, I'm just asking you the serious questions about the holiday before we get there, and I get totally confused again. Son, it's it's not that important, okay? We're just going to go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to get chocolate eggs afterwards. It'll be great. Okay, but later, when, when I explain this poorly to other kids, and they spend another year thinking that Jesus is pooping out chocolate eggs, I'm going to just blame you. Deal? Well, if you put on your Sunday clothes, I will accept this as a deal. Okay. Welcome to the show. All right. Uh, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everything in between and outside the box. Uh, I'm here today with, uh, this is Ruben, here today with my good friend, Dean Kutris. Dean, how you doing? 
I'm hanging in there, man. How you doing? Hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. that's. I feel like we're all hanging in there these days. Yeah. We're all, we're all we're all that cat from the motivational picture, just hanging on for dear life. Just getting through day to day, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to trying to survive in this crazy world that we find ourselves in. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll talk about a number of things, but let's. Let's address the the specialness of this episode, of course, because this is the Easter episode. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be talking about Easter a little bit. Uh, now, of course, Easter, um, famous holiday, currently associated with uh, strange combinations of eggs, bunnies, and Jesus. Um, things that uh, things that uh, have questionable correlations at best. <laughs> um, it, there's no such thing as rabbits that lay eggs, and uh, I don't think uh, Jesus talked much about either of those things. No, I don't think so either. Um, it's it's that's funny you say that, but you know what? If you talk to uh, some religious people, they do some what I like to call theological jujitsu on connecting those things. Well, I mean, you know, I I I've definitely I remember as a kid like seeing like Easter books and whatnot um, try where they would try and connect those things. And it was always vaguely, uh, I don't know, not necessarily like, like it's a dubious concept. Well, in fairness, they do sell Watership Down in Christian bookstores, which I also find confusing. I don't, what's Watership Down? Oh, you're not familiar? Watership Down is uh is i guess you could call it a fantasy novel except there's not a whole lot of technically actual fantasy it just sort of follows a fantasy journey so there's no like real magic uh it's just about rabbits (laughs) and like the whole thing about the story is is that like humans come and they 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 ruin their warren and they end up uh they end up, uh, they ruin their war and they like fill it in with dirt and trees and stuff and it kills a bunch of the rabbits. Um, but there's a group of rabbits who like had a premonition that it was coming. And so like they leave the warren uh, and they, they, they make a journey for, to find a new warren outside of their like totalitarian warren because they want to go off and, and make their own separate rabbit warren. Um, and... <laughs> A big part of it is just their journey to find a Warren, and then they do find a Warren, um, and they need women for the Warren, so they they liberate some female rabbits from another rabbit Warren, and that rabbit Warren gets pissed, and it becomes an all-out war, and it turns into one of the most graphic children's cartoons I've ever seen. Um, and be very realistic, like rabbits just like mangling each other and biting each other, and then the, they they win the fight they win the they win the war by one rabbit going and freeing a dog and leading it there and that and the dog just comes in and just starts ripping just like shredding every rabbit in its path and like that's, that's a children's that's a children's, it's a children's novel that was turned into a, a into a cartoon yeah when was this when, when I, did this it's come like out? from the 80s or early 90s or something the oh cartoon is i the book is probably older um but it's also weird because the rabbits all worship the sun and who they call thrift or frift it's okay. it's a wild book and like i remember that like 
during going through a very Catholic period in my life, I remember <laughs> going into Christian bookstores and like one Christian bookstore like had it like on the shelf. And I, I even then when I was like inside the culture, there was a part of me that was like, huh. I never huh. would have associated this with Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they have a monotheistic, like, pseudo-sun god, like Christianity. But they worship the sun. Yeah. It's, Th well, there are some Christian scholars who would argue that we do the same thing. But <laughs> I That's that's a new one on me. Um, oh, you haven't heard that one before? Yeah, no, I haven't heard that one either. But, I mean, There's... worshiping the sun... It kind of makes sense you know because you can you can see the sun and it provides life and it provides light and everything like that so like i could see how worshiping the sun and the moon for that matter i could see why people like ancient peoples were enthralled with those things and i i could see how rabbits would would like the sun you know they don't come out you know during during the night or anything like that because yeah, exactly you got wolves and foxes and coyotes and stuff all trying to eat them that come out at night so yeah, it just makes sense. They would come out during the day, but that's just wild, man. That is a wild, wild story. It is a shockingly violent movie. <laughs> like there's even like things like where you'll see like rabbits get like caught in like these rabbit traps and you'll see like the wire like biting into their neck and it's, oh it's, God. yeah, no, it's very like graphic. I was, I, was, I, I but like, I have noticed that like animal violence is is definitely not looked at the same way by crit by like the rating system because like even animal violence done to humans is viewed differently than human on human violence animal violence done to humans like a, like a dog attacking a human or something like that okay or? so like here's an example um jaws uh oh, okay. jaws is a pg movie but there's a scene in that movie where a man literally gets bitten half by a shark jaws is pg Oh yeah, Jaws is rated PG. Yeah, because uh, uh, I mean it was the '70s, and so PG meant a little bit more. Like PG back then <laughs> meant like more like, hey, someone under twelve probably shouldn't be watching this. Uh, <laughs> but but still, like you see him get eaten half, and then um, then you got the Jurassic Park movies, which are PG thirteen. But like, yeah, 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 that's oh. true. That that yeah, that's right. Because I do remember seeing uh, Jurassic Park. God, it was I was it was in theaters. What was that ninety five when the oh, first yeah. one came out? So I, I would have been so. twelve. I would have been like twelve, thirteen at the time, mm -hmm. and and I probably had to go see it with my brother and my sister. That's how I. That's how I was able to get in and see all the like PG thirteen movies because my brother and sister were like old enough to take me in. And yeah. if they bought the ticket at that time, you didn't have to be with your parent or guardian. You just had to be with somebody who was older than thirteen. I, I distinctly remember um, when, the first time I saw The Lost World was on television. And in that one, I distinctly remembered the violence from it because, like, there are two moments that stand out in my mind, which is, one, there's a part where, like, a T-Rex steps on a guy and it crushes him. And when the foot comes up, you see the body stick to the foot as he lifts it. And then there's another part where, like, he grabs a guy right as he's about to go into a cave under a waterfall and you just see, like, all the blood come down the waterfall. Oh, and man. like, like, so yeah, like it's very like, for some reason, animal attacks are allowed to be more violence from animals is allowed to be more violent. And I don't know what that is, but it seems to be fairly consistent. That's uh, kind of crazy. Like, yeah, it's crazy. And, and kind of bringing it around full circle. I, if you believe in the Bible, literally, mm -hmm. 
you believe that G or what was that? there's that picture of Jesus riding a dinosaur. Have you ever seen that? I have not. I've, I've probably seen it. I've probably seen it. I don't I think, think that's like in the, the Bible. I, I'm pretty sure it's at this creationist museum in, oh God. in Cincinnati, I believe. Wow. And they have a picture of like Jesus is literally riding. I think it's a T-Rex. Like, even if you believe that humans could have existed at the same time as dinosaurs, even if you believe that, like, it would have been before Jesus. <laughs> like, it, would have been, it would have still been, like, way before Jesus. <laughs> that doesn't make I, sense. I don't, I don't know, man. You know what else was kind of wild? And um, uh, I, I, went to a, um, I went to a Mormon church one time with a friend. Oh yeah. And uh yeah, and they they had paintings up of Jesus with Native Americans. And I thought that that was kind of just fascinating. Oh yeah, cuz that's the cuz that's the whole Mormon thing is that yeah. Mormons believe that Native Americans there's some weird tribe of Israelites that got punished by God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Jesus Mormon. had to come over here and save them. Um it's I'll tell you what again theological jujitsu um because i i did a little bit of research on this and i was because i was curious and i was like i you know it being easter time and i'm watching the vikings and i'm at work and they have the peanut butter reese's peanut butter chocolate eggs and i'm like how did eggs and and rabbits get tied into easter and so I was like, how did this happen? And, and I thought, you know, this would be an interesting conversation to have with Ruben. Okay. And, and I was like, I was like, okay, this is a way for me to get in on his show. Um, <laughs> I would have so, had you just for so, fun. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, um, pagans. And I, I, I'm assuming, um, and I'm not sure exactly like what sect it is technically, but like the people who who worshiped um there was a there was a goddess that they worshiped at the time and she was the goddess of fertility and they would they would um they would do these ritual celebrations like every spring for new life new for fertility fertility it's springtime you know rejuvenation all that stuff and i guess eggs are a symbol of rejuvenation in life and i guess rabbits are too because i think rabbits symbolize being prolific so I mean, they, the the stereotype of rabbits is that they bang a lot and that they have well, a lot of kids yeah well there you go so and i think the pagans kind of understood that so when early christians were converting like these pagans from these german tribes and norse tribes and everything like that they still sort of kept some of these pagan rituals which involved eggs and rabbits, and then they combined it with the Easter. Well, the the res like, Easter actually comes from a pagan word, and it's like Eoster or something like that. And I think that yeah. was either the name of the celebration or it was the goddess. And they just kept those things. And I, I'm assuming that the early Christians were like, you know, as long as they're still following the word of Jesus and they're calling themselves Christians, like if they want to keep, did I freeze? I can still hear you, but your, your visual is frozen. Oh, okay. Is okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, I only, okay, cool, I cool. only use the sound anyways. Okay, cool. Um, so I guess they, they just thought, yeah, okay, well, let's compromise here and you can still, 
you can still use some of these things. Like at Christmas time, the Yule log, like burning the Yule log, that is a very, that's a pagan thing. Yeah, I've heard so, that one. You never heard that one? No, I have heard that one. Yeah. So I, I think between, and between Christmas and Easter, because like in the Bible, like again, we don't know the date that Jesus was actually born. You know, it doesn't some, state that he was born on December 25th. Some scholars have indicated that it is believed, a lot of scholars believe that he actually um, was born actually closer to the same month he died in. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, think they were able to do that with astrological sort of something like, like that. Yeah. 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 I've heard that too. So, but they know when Jesus was killed um, and when he resurrected because it was a Passover Seder. He went to Jerusalem back for Passover and the last supper and everything like that was a Passover Seder. And I, 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 and so like, that's like how we know that, you know, Jesus was killed around this time of year, but like, we don't follow the, the, um, the Hebrew calendar. So we figured out when Easter was supposed to be Easter again, based on, you know, whatever. And it's, I, I don't know. It's a lot of it is very I, complicated. I and believe I, our Passover lines up with their Passover. Yeah. Uh, it sort of depends. It's, it sort of depends on when the full moon is and, and after the vernal equinox and all this, and it's just kind of, yeah, but also kind of to throw it in there. I am uh, an Orthodox Christian. Okay. So Orthodox Christians, our Easter is actually not this week, but next week. Interesting. Yeah. That's because we still follow the Julian calendar, which was the calendar that was, was in use during the, um, when the church was started, you know, in the, the council on Nicaea and everything like that. So, so like, and that's the thing. And so it's like, and then they switched, I think they switched the Gregorian calendar, like somewhere in the 15th or 16th centuries. Uh, and, and so the Catholic church switched over, but the Orthodox church didn't. And so there's like a, a, a few days difference in the calendars and the Orthodox church just never caught up or they never changed. Um, but they still argue about like, oh, we're right. And you're wrong. No, we're right. And you're wrong. And it's just, it's just kind of ridiculous. So, yeah. And I got a, a, one more thing to say about the eggs too, because I looked up why, like how Christian churches sort of view eggs. So okay. the egg is supposed to be symbolic of the tomb that Jesus was in. And the cracking yeah. of the egg represents his resurrection. <laughs> and I, why I, they dye the eggs red mostly is to represent the blood of Jesus when he was crucified. That is, in my mind, theological jujitsu. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess those things make sense. They do. I, I mean, like, if you want them to, sure. I mean, you know? <laughs> I mean, I can see the egg thing, kind of like it's a thing that you got stuff in, like a tomb, and then it it opens, and that's kind of no. Uh, it's i mean like i guess like i mean like that is kind of the thing is that you can like in terms of like art and symbolism and stuff like there's always a lot of room to like read stuff into to movies and and television and, and everything and like it's 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 
it's very apparent that people can read in dramatically different things. Um, like here's here's just an example. Um, uh, in twenty, was it last? No, last year they came, there was a movie that came out was called um, uh, Army of the Dead. Okay. And uh, Zack Snyder movie. Uh, I saw it. It's a, I thought it was a fun time. Uh, but the thing I, I I read the reviews beforehand, and the thing that I thought was really funny is that there were essentially like it was largely positive reviews, but like out of the negative reviews, there was like a weird pattern, and and the pattern was a literally like people saying, "Look at look at gross Zack Snyder uh, objectifying women." And, and not giving them bodily autonomy. And then literally the other bet set of bad reviews would say stuff like, here comes woke Zack Snyder trying to push his women are good and men are bad agenda on us. And like, <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's like, oh, all the bad guys are men and white. I see where Zack Snyder... <laughs> It's crazy how people just want to see things and they interpret it through their own lens. Yeah. 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 It's just like and, some saying he's misogynist, the other saying he's woke. And I'm like, what? And I, I mean, I guess like, and I listened to your podcast, like at the beginning where you're talking about like, it's, it's all subjective. It doesn't, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I get, I don't know. Did Zack Snyder ever say what his artistic intent behind though that was? I don't, he hasn't said anything about that movie in terms of artistic intent. Um, there is one movie where he has commented on the artistic intent and how the film was uh, misrepresentative, uh, which was uh, Sucker Punch. You ever seen Sucker Punch? No. Uh, it's an interesting movie. Also another example of studio interference in a film being made. Oh, um, we love that. Apparently, Zack Snyder claims that when the um, there's some type of rights that are going to revert at some point, mm-hmm. and he says at that point he'll be able to release his own cut of the movie. Um, but is that just going to be his thing for like the, the like that's going to be twice now that that's happened? Is it's just going to be Zack Snyder's thing? Like the studio <laughs> came out with their stuff, and Zack Snyder is going to come out with with his thing. His original version of the movie apparently was a musical. And the I don't know in what stage Warner Brothers nixed it being a musical because that is the question. Like, what got cut before it was shot? Uh, a but Zack the whole movie, Snyder musical. Yeah, but the movie's concept is um, the, it tells the story of a girl who essentially, um, like her creepy uncle, like plans to kill her and her sister so he can gain their inheritance, and it's in like the turn of the century. Uh, turn of the century, I think America, and mm. which this kind of stuff really happened in that time. And basically, he he kills her sister, but she gets away. Uh, but because he's a man, he he basically says that she killed her sister and that she's gone crazy, and she ends up getting put in an asylum. Wow! Uh, at like turn of the century asylum, so you know it's bad. Um, and when she goes there. Um, essentially what she discovers is like, um, it's this, it's, first of all, it's terrible. It's turn of the century, a sane asylum. So she like starts to develop her own like altered reality perception of the world around her. And part of where this movie probably loses some people is that there's three layers of reality to the film. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, inception in that way. Mm. But so essentially there's the real world. Mm-hmm. And then there's her 
Then there's her version of the world where it's been filtered to protect her mind. And in that world, she imagines that all the girls in there are part of a secret, like, um, burlesque dance show. Um, when what's really happening is they have this therapist there who does uh, psychodramic therapy, where they, have, where they have people act out their traumas on stage. Ooh. And so, so basically... She interprets that as as theater, and she inside her made up reality she has she has this vision of them as burlesque dancers, and mm-hmm. then there's a third layer of reality where every time they are going to a con- they're doing some part of her plan or a mission or something, it will drop her into an another reality where it is her experiencing like an inner conflict that is played out across some type of action set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're typically things like, like there's one where it's clearly like World War One versus undead like uh, soldiers uh, who and then there's one where she's uh, fighting a giant samurai with a sword. Uh, and then there's one where they're on a like a futuristic train. It's a really wild movie. Uh, crazy. So but the thing is, is a lot of people. um a lot of people interpreted the film as just being like dumb man objectifies women. Mm. Um, when, according to Zack Snyder and uh, and his um, director of photography, the film was always meant to be a commentary on how genre film tries to control women. And the whole concept is supposed to be like, yeah, no, the men are terrible to the women in this asylum because the asylum is meant to be the box that we put female characters in to essentially, like, force them into our own male fantasies. Mm-hmm. And, like, Oscar Isaac plays this really disgusting orderly who, like, sort of is terrible to everyone in the place. It's a very mm-hmm. interesting movie. Um, but, like, it's a movie where a lot of people... It's one of those things where a lot of people have mistaken it for the thing it's meant to be a commentary on. That you know, that's so funny that that happens a lot. It does. It, it you does know, a lot. and and it's and, and it happens so often. I think with like TV and film, and I think with theater too. And I, I think you, you know, with plays, is it's like you're, it's like you you got to separate, like what what you're trying to see versus like what the what the writer or what the director is is trying to get across because they're not always promoting in a positive light like the type of world that they find idealistic Mm -hmm. they're just trying to highlight the world and make a point about it in a Mm -hmm. way to get you to think yeah but i think that i think that we i don't know and this, this i could be wrong but like i think that we've gotten to the point where we are wanting to see the thing we, we put, we want to see the things that we want to see and the things that we're fans of. Mm-hmm. And I, I hesitate to say it's because we want to stay in a comfort zone. I, I mean, maybe, I don't know what the sort of the thing is behind that, but I, I've noticed that too, even with, with acting is that sometimes like like taking on a character or playing a part in a play where the person's just not a very good person like okay i'm not that you have like i'm not this character 
I'm, I'm pretending to be this character. I don't agree with them at all. I don't agree with this person's standpoint, but that's why it's called acting. And I think somewhere along the line, we kind of lost that. And I, I don't know if it's always kind of been that way or if it's, uh, if it's just something that's just sort of part of this new like, world that we find ourselves in. I mean, it's, it's a great question. Cause like, I mean, like look at um, Machiavelli is uh, the prince. Mm-hmm. Like scholars have argued for, for hundreds of years, whether it's serious or a satire. Mm. Um, I, I never thought that I always, from everything that I've ever heard about that, I haven't read the book, but like people take that very seriously. Some people do. Like, there Some are people business do. people and like, uh, like politician, political leaders throughout history that have read that book and has inspired them to be the kind of leaders that they are. I'm not yeah. saying that's a good thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> but like, there are some scholars who have who have said that their research makes them think it's meant to be a satire, making fun of um, that type of leader, not 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 to be taken seriously. Interesting. Um, I don't know which one is the real answer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's interesting that there's debate around it. Yeah. Or like. Um, look at look at fight club yeah like even like even as a teenager i definitely like i i don't think i got the irony of fight club as a teenager like i saw how it was pointing out the hollowness of consumerism i got that like that level i got but it wasn't until much later that i understood the major complaint and problem with tyler durden's perspective Ah, yeah. Because Tyler Durden, like, is saying things that are kind... Like, he's saying things that are technically true about society, but his solution um, is not a solution that would benefit everyone. It's it's actually Mm. would be a catastrophic solution. And as a teenager, my, my, my thing I would always say is, no, but his plan worked. They blew up the credit card companies. Mm -hmm. But, like... As an adult, I now realize. Uh, well, first of all, they probably had backups. Uh, but say, <laughs> but <laughs> backup. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, well now well, they would for sure. Now like, they maybe, would in the nineties. Nineties. I don't know if data was was as if it was that important to like have that stuff backed up. They might have had paper copies somewhere. Mm-hmm. They probably had, had some some guy or some woman go fetch all the paperwork and have to input everything in. And if they if they happen. did have copies, they'd be on like a bunch of hard drives in the same building. Or <laughs> a bunch of floppy disks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but that's interesting that you bring that up because you know I haven't watched Fight Club in a lot of, in a while, long time, and I, like I we're about the same age, and I think when I saw it too, I I didn't sort of understand that, but. You're right. It is like, okay, Tyler Durden is pointing out these things that are, that's, that's a fair observation mm-hmm. about life and sort of just like sort of looking at it in a pessimistic light mm-hmm. in a pessimistic light. But the way you're going about fixing it is so over the top and extreme. Mm-hmm. And like, also his solution is like this, this type of like psycho sexual toxic masculine, like deprogramming. Mm -hmm. uh like so like his his statements and and complaints about society are fair like it's not like he gets up and starts spouting like uh it's not like he gets up there and starts like saying like 
fascist things or like white supremacist things, he gets up there and basically starts making the same arguments that like maybe a Marxist or somebody would make about how this soulless consumerism and we've all been ruined by like meaningless products and, and, and stuff. Like yeah. it starts out at that point, but then as it goes along, like his solution to this is, oh, we're going to beat each other up. And that'll revert us to a primal, like a primal us. And, and he formed a cult. Yeah, and no, exactly. A cult, a, a cult of Gen Xers, I will say, which I yeah. think is also sort of a commentary. And there was another line that I remember from that movie. We're the generation, like we didn't have like a great war or anything like that. Like we, we are a generation of, of men raised by our mothers. And oh right i forgot about that like no that's not that's a line that i never thought a lot about because like like you said our brains want to we focus on the things we want to see like i focus like i think when i watch that movie my brain like soaks in more of the consumerism but like mm -hmm. that's a good point that's a good point he like that's a very like sort of uh <clears throat> regressive uh a, a very regressive toxic masculine concept right Right. And um, man, and, and yeah, it's that, geez, man, I, I got to go back. Okay. So there's a, there's a few movies I got to go back and watch too. So, mm -hmm. but man, I, I, and I dare say there is always a reaction to things mm -hmm. that tends to go too far. Oh yeah. The, the, the stimulus and the response, and then we find our way sort of back and uh, you know, oh, man, I don't, I don't want to get into this, but <laughs> I know we can talk about some of my favorite Easter movies if you want. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, we we can we can change the subject because we're we're go about to go down a very uh, it's, it's, black hole, but or let's just go down the rabbit hole now instead. Yeah, of yeah. Just go that way. Uh, okay. Did you have? Wait, did you have any more comments on the paganism of of uh, of Easter? No, I just think it's a fascinating sort of. It, it's it literally is it's a transculturation. It is two cultures that sort of came together and they formed like this third culture. And it's, yeah, there's well, nothing in, in the Bible about Easter eggs or anything like that, but it's like they compromise and they're like, Hey, okay, pagan, you still have this thing that you still like to do. And if you can incorporate what we do and they found a way to make it work, which I think is, um, I mean, part well, of that work was oppression, cool. but yes. What's that? I said part of that work was oppression, but yes. Okay, fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. There probably there probably was a little bit forced uh, conversion and stuff like that. That's I mean, fair. so like that is the interesting thing, though, is because that's very related to the fact that the 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 Christian Church at some point was basically a thing that was appropriated by the Romans, because the Romans have always been a a cultural appropriation like <laughs> like like civilization like oh well hey as a greek i understand that <laughs> like yeah no like like they're they're as, starting as the romans point. pretty much well the romans sort of took off of what the what, what the like the greek gods and the greek deities oh, yeah. like that, and they just changed the name that was and their starting point the same thing dealing from the greeks they're like yeah. okay we just, what if we took all the greek stuff and we made it uh more violent and sexy yeah okay that sounds good which, which weirdly enough though my understanding though is that the romans like had more violent sexual entertainment but yeah. like they were more conservative like in their actual society than the greeks were i i find i feel like romans are kind of more similar to americans 
Oh no, um, definitely. Well, in 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 theater, in in theater, in Greek plays, the violence would happen off stage, and then you'd have a messenger that would come on and talk about all the violence, like in Oedipus, <laughs> like when uh, Jocasta hangs herself, like a messenger comes out and talks all about that. You don't yeah. see that. In Roman theater, they would substitute out the actor with a slave, and then they would actually kill the actor if that character died on stage. So, and I mean, you had the gladiator games, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know. The Naumachia? What's that? Have you ever read about the Naumachia? No. Uh, they, would, they would flood the Colosseums with water. Yes, and then okay. put actual boats in it, and they yeah. would just have water battles. Yeah, in, in, the, in there, and like, could you, I, could you just imagine, like, just like, just seeing like these floating ships, and like, like, what they, killing what, each other on these boats? Yeah, on these boats, and and just like, just to be a, a Roman in that time and to sit there and watch it. Oh my god. Yeah, no, I like, I got it. Like, there's a part of me that like. Like I don't, like I'm horrified that like they would use real people for real mm-hmm. violence, but yeah. like part of me like the spectacle of that just blows my mind. That's, like that's kind of where I'm at. And I don't want your listeners to think that I'm like, yeah, let's bring this back and let's do it. Let's kill some people. Like I, mean, I just, I'm sure we could find a way to do it where people didn't have to die. <laughs> I think that's called theater. <laughs> oh yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe um, we could buy SeaWorld to do this. That would work. Uh, just use that old abandoned sea world they got over there. Make maybe, the... maybe we can involve the dolphins. They can be like they they can be soldiers or something like that. Because like you know, the United States military actually does that. Yeah, that's true. Although they there's use... no animals there anymore. No. What do they, what do they have at Sea World now? Uh, well, the Sea World here in Ohio got shut down. It it it, it went out of business. Uh... Uh, which is why it's available. Although I think it got bought out by somebody recently. Well, I think this is our opportunity, Ruben, to take over the land previously owned by SeaWorld and to just put sea battles. Uh, that's that's it. Just yeah. battles at sea, famous battles at sea through history. It would be dope. <laughs> People would love it. Yeah. Employ tons of actors. <laughs> that's it, man. I think we should write this grant right now. Yeah. Um, so, but so- uh, Easter movies. Yeah. I, All right. I so I will I start. I, I'll start with the obvious one. Okay. Uh, um, the Exodus movie. Um, the Charlton oh, Heston. Uh, the movie. Ten Commandments? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Oh, with Charlton Heston? Yeah. I it's used to. Technically not an Easter movie. Well, they played it on television every <laughs> I know, Easter. They always played at Easter. Because it's but... a pass. Technically, it's a Passover movie. It's a Passover. That's exactly why they do it. But I'll be honest, like, and this is gonna, this might sound weird, but when I was a kid, that was what always made me feel the most religious. Like something, <laughs> like something about sitting down on like, like Easter Sunday or something, and just watching the Ten Commandments on TV. That was like part of my religious experience for that holiday. That was, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know. I've always loved an epic, and it certainly is an epic. Mm. Mm, yeah uh, i mean it's you know it is a classic and it's sort of if you have that sort of that emotional like memory tied to it that that makes a lot of sense yeah christian yeah i don't know what happened with christian movies but like they went to hell somewhere like well, i, I, I used think... to make really good christian movies and now they're all trash well 
Well, I think I think That's Kirk the- Cameron. I think Kirk Cameron's trying to pick up the mantle on that one. Yeah, uh, but his will be trash. I don't. Think- I, I've gotten I've gotten some auditions for Kirk Cameron movies that they come through on Actors Access, and they pay really well. Really? And then you see what they are, and you see who the producer is, and you're like, oh, no, I'm gonna pass on this one. <laughs> I take their money. Uh, yeah. Although I'd feel weird about being in them, and if they listen to my radio, and if they listen to my podcast, I don't think they cast me. But <laughs> they probably wouldn't. It'd be a great story, I, though. I I, you could you could play a Jesus. Stain. You, you could play Jesus. <laughs> Actually, a friend of mine and. Uh, me and me and uh, me and my friend Robert, who you know, uh, we yeah. talked about briefly like the idea of making like uh, Christian movies, just because like that money's there to be had, and like <laughs> we, we've thought about making just like really subversive Christian movies, and like <laughs> and seeing if we could get that to take off. It's um, almost like Cartman did on South Park. It is. It is like, but his 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 Christian boy band. <laughs> Just don't, just don't yell out, just don't yell out, fuck Jesus. Just don't do that. I want, I want you to touch my body, Jesus. I'm down on my knees. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you really love Jesus. (laughs) Don't you? No, no, no. Like you're in love with Jesus. Are you saying you don't love Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a, that's a classic South Park episode. Um, Uh, uh I'm I'm gonna say mine here. Oh yeah, go ahead. Lay out the Matrix. The Matrix? Oh, I was gonna I was gonna say that one too. Uh just because uh of yeah, no, I mean like there's <laughs> there's there's clear like there's a lot of like uh religious and symbolic imagery all throughout the and spiritualist imagery all the way through the Matrix series. Oh totally, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um like even the newest one, it's called Resurrections. Um, have you seen the newest one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I enjoyed it. I I didn't think it was as good as the original. Uh, I thought it was you know arguably better than some of the sequels to the original trilogy, but it was it was cool. There was um, I don't know, man. I I like movies where there's a lot of heart in it, and I I felt like there was a lot of heart in this. There was a know? solid amount of heart in it. Yeah. So like I would say that. I'm a huge Matrix fan, huge mm-hmm. Matrix, and I would say that um, it's probably my least favorite of the Matrix movies, okay. but I still enjoyed it a good bit. Um, although to be fair, I, part of that might just be because like I'm always impressed when a director does something like really like subversive in their in their film towards their own studio. Yeah. Oh, there was a lot of that. Oh, like yeah. The, the med- like the I mean the movie basically tells you they're forcing me to make this movie so I'm just gonna do it so I'm just gonna like it's, it's like it's literally in the movie like right. it, uh, and like they basically lay it all out it's like I'm making this movie because they said they were gonna take away my rights and do it with someone else if I didn't make this movie if I didn't so make here this movie. I am making this movie that is actually what happened. Um, I love the scene where it's just I love the I love the meta commentary of the scene where it's just like all the studio people like in a room pitching their matrix ideas <laughs> to to Keanu to Keanu Reeves character <laughs> and they're like because it's just 
Like it, it, it makes you. It, it sounds literally like everything you've ever heard from someone who didn't think that hard about the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do remember laughing at certain moments of that and just being like, "These are these might have been like comments they might have seen on social media from fanboys that didn't really understand mm-hmm. sort of the deep philosophical and yeah. theological ideas behind the Matrix." Yeah. Not to sound like horribly pretentious. Hey, um, I'm I about, just realized I'm probably after about, I said that, that sounded so pretentious. Hey, I'm about to sound even more pretentious. So don't worry <laughs> about it. So like, the thi- so like the other thing about Matrix Resurrections is that I feel like the first half of the movie is basically the meta commentary. And then the second half of the movie is them basically being like, all right, I'm just going to spell it all out this time so that people can't misinterpret it anymore. And it's, <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. The machines were never evil. It's just some of the machines were oppressive. Mm-hmm. And like, I like, thought that was a, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I mean the thing is, is that that's in the other like. So I feel like I I like the Matrix sequels, and I feel like they are are frequently um, put down, and I don't agree with it um, because now I will say that they did. The studio's involvement with the sequels, I think, was was a mistake um, because what happened was is that the the Wachowskis pitched them uh, essentially the 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 trilogy was supposed to be the Matrix, the Matrix Zero, and the Matrix Revolutions, and the Matrix Zero was meant to be a prequel that would essentially display the rise of the machines. And, and how that came to be. And if you watch the Animatrix, they essentially like abridge the story down to two cartoons. Mm. Um, and I do feel like if you don't watch the Animatrix, then you're going into the sequels uh, missing a lot of incredibly important context. Okay. Um, because because the, cause the, the Animatrix lays out the fact that this is a world that is not just populated by humans. Mm. There are, in fact, three factions. There's the humans, the machines, and the programs. Mm. And the thing is that the, the Matrix is the program's whole world. They live there. They don't have another world. And then you have the humans who, have no, who are being forced to live in that world. And then you have the machines who are running off of that world. Mm. And it's... The point of the, the point of the movies is sp- it starts off with a binary of good versus evil, and then as it goes along, it's supposed to destroy the binary sort of thing to imply mm-hmm. that machines just want to survive, and that the programs are capable of the same feelings and emotions as the humans. And so, at the end of the Matrix Revolutions, the point is meant to be that he's not just dying. For human, for the humans, he's dying to save everybody. He's saving the Matrix. He's saving the programs. He's saving the machines, and that's like that's meant to be like the big picture. There is that ultimately mm. he saves everybody, mm. and then so the Matrix is like, okay, we're gonna ha- we're gonna spell that part out by making the humans and the machines and the programs be living in harmony in this one area. Mm. And so, so, and then they bring back the little girl as a main character in it and whatnot. And so I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. 
Um, I liked seeing what happened after the Matrix. Um, they also, like, I don't know if everyone noticed this, but I felt like they spelled out the trans thing. Like, the trans thing was clearly the metaphor that was most buried in the Matrix, because obviously that'd be a hard thing to get studios on board with in the 90s. Uh, okay, so it's about how me and my... Me and my, at this time, recognized as brothers, are struggling with our sexual, with our gender identity. And th <laughs> that would have been a hard sell then. Oh, yeah. uh, so, so, so I, th so I, it was, I think it was, I thought it was interesting how the film sort of like spelled out that part. How essentially, we, symbolically, Neo and Trinity are in fact the same person. Mm -hmm. I mean, like in the story, they're separate people, but symbolically they are the masculine and feminine side of the same person. Right. And so, like, as they come together, they become more powerful. Mm -hmm. So their powers always came from each other is, the, is sort of the idea. And that he was the one who tapped into it because he was the one who everyone kept telling was the one that could do it. Mm. And so by the end, though, it's his feminine side that has gained the power. That is gaining the power. Right. And that, that was really that was really cool i really loved that twist on it and that's kind of like where i was at with the movie is that you know it's taking that like you were talking about and sort of making an another uh like that like the one is now two and there are two sides of it so i yeah, yeah, yeah. i really i really dug that there was something you were saying uh before and i wanted to, uh, to let you finish and i couldn't quite exactly remember what it was but I, I um, about the binary thing. No, I think it was about the. I think it was about the machines. Oh um, yeah. Um, so the machines are not technically evil. Um, right. In the Animatrix, it's revealed to us uh, that the machines tried for a very long time to cohabitate with humans. That mm. they initially, um, the first step they took was like. Um, like protests and and like a civil rights movements for machines and and some humans even like um joined forces with them to help them try and secure their civil rights but there was no compunction about destroying machines so it, it didn't play out the same way as the civil rights uh movements mm. uh, but eventually all the machines fled to a part of africa that was radioactive and mm. the human and so humans couldn't live there and they created a city, I think it was called Zero One or something. Hmm. Uh, I forget the, it was something like that. Is this all in the Animatrix? This is all in the Animatrix, yeah. Okay. I, don't have to I definitely recommend out. the Animatrix. The Animatrix is cool. I think it was on Netflix at one point. I, just, I don't know. It, it is, is probably on HBO Max right now. Because they have the Matrix. And... Yeah, although it's one of those movies and stuff that they like floated around the different streaming services periodically. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. So but, I, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, yeah, the new matrix was really cool. I did like the sequels and yeah, you know, actually, I mean, I think I kind of picked up on all that. Like you pick up on various Easter eggs, uh-oh, um, <laughs> throughout the movies. Like I, there was this one moment, I think it was in the second movie where Neo is talking with like one of the members of the council and they're sort of sitting outside and they're looking at a machine or something. And I think it like filter, it filters water or something like that. Yeah. And they're looking and he's like, look, this is a machine. 
and 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 like neo's like oh so we need the machines and the machines need us is that the point that you're trying to make and the old guy's like i i'm not making any points like every old guy in every movie says i don't make points i'm just talking you know Uh like like they are making a point but they just they just don't want to say that they're making a point i also Uh, like the sequels because they they got cornell west in them Who's Cornell West? What do you oh, he's a, he's, a, um, he's a black philosopher, an African-American philosopher um, who used to... He's cool. You should look him up. What parts does he play? Or he's on the he... council. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, he also does um, the philosopher... On the, uh, the Ultimate Matrix collection, the, uh, I have the DVD collection of that, and um, each, of the, each of the movies has two sets of commentary... One of them is commentary from critics who didn't like the series, and the other one is commentary from philosophers who did. <laughs> and they, made, they even make a note in it that they considered having also critics who liked it and also philosophers who didn't, but they, they decided ultimately to just go with critics that didn't like it and philosophers who did. It's yeah. very interesting to hear them talk about it. Yeah. But I, I think, like, I don't know... I feel like it you know you're entitled not to like something you know oh, yeah even even if you get it you know but I, I do think that there are a lot of people oh that was the point that i was gonna make with with the matrix with the original trilogy is i think i remember when i saw the movie i was a little disappointed because i i was younger and i wanted i wanted the movie the end uh, to end the way i wanted the movie to end you know what i mean and it didn't end the way of people's expectations as i've gotten older and more into art (laughs) i have learned to come to appreciate like just sort of accepting things like how they end and just being like okay that's the way that they chose to end this story um but uh, yeah just kind of being like because it was totally against expectation of how you thought the matrix was going to end because i remember talking about it with people like when the oh, how's this going to end and what's going to happen with smith and what's going to happen with neo and trinity and and all this stuff and you know are the people going to be able i think what what they wanted to see is the machines to be totally destroyed and the people to come out of zion and to rehabitate the earth mm-hmm. i think that that is kind of what people wanted to see and yeah, when that yeah. didn't happen i think a lot of people were just very confused yeah or maybe I, eh, not confused but like upset yeah no i think like I do think like the people never I feel like so like in my mind the sequel's point was that they were going to it was supposed to introduce you to the binary and then slowly break the binary apart as the series goes on yeah so that by the end you are no longer looking at it in black and white but in shades of shades of gray yeah um but people like black and white uh, and I don't mean the I don't mean the color scheme. I mean like people like that sort of binary thinking um, when it comes to stories and stuff. Like well, it, makes, it makes it's it simple. easy to enjoy certain aspects. It's it's simple, and I think kind of going back to what you were talking about, what I like earlier is, I think when we see people, and we see heroes that do things that we don't like, it's all of a sudden like, oh, is this person really a hero? You know. We like, God forbid, somebody like shows humanity or something like that. Um, you know, the era, the hero always has to be good and has to always do things the right way. 
and has to always be the good person, but, and the villain always has to be bad and they want to hurt people and take over the world and do all the, you know, do all the villainous stuff. But like, and I think the really great stories are the ones that have the, the layers where like, it is just sort of gray uh, going back and forth between, because nobody, we're, we're not, nobody is really truly good and nobody is really truly evil. Which actually might be a good transition to, uh, to my to my next Easter movie, <laughs> which actually, the first time I saw this movie, we saw it together. Oh yeah yeah yeah! It came. <laughs> it was a film that I came out on good. It came out on Good Friday, <laughs> and I and like as the film movie went on, there was a part of me where I was like, Warner Brothers, you cheeky bastards. Uh, Because that movie is Batman versus Superman. Uh, Which I do think... A lot of Jesus undertones with Superman. I mean, yeah, they did, like... So I actually have... I've I've, I've read so much more about this uh, in the the years that followed. But, like, the whole thing that... um, The whole thing that Zack Snyder said he was going for with, with Superman is that he was trying to create, like, modern mythology yeah which is why superman's story arc isn't like a typical story arc that we expect because it follows the story arc of like a religious figure Mm. so like man of steel is like him coming out as as superman as the alien as the thing fallen from heaven uh who and and so like it has a lot of he faces a lot of doubt and questions about like his place in the world. And then, and then Batman versus Superman is like the reaction to him. Hmm. Although the other subtext to Batman versus Superman is nine 11, not we were wrong to invade Iraq is the other <laughs> subtext to Batman versus Superman. Because yeah. I think a thing a lot of people don't like about that movie and they don't really know how to articulate is that technically Batman is is the antagonist. Yeah. Like the whole point of the movie is Batman is wrong. Yeah. Like Batman Batman's gone off the deep end trying to murder Superman. Like he he is he's losing his shit. That's the whole point. That's like the... Bat, Batman has become unhinged. He's being manipulated by Lex Luthor, which actually in the extended cut they explain a lot better. Like yeah. Like, the extended cut, like, there's so many things they cut out of the movie where you're like, oh, my God, what were they thinking cutting this out of the movie? I just I just wish that they would have done Zack Snyder's vision. And I think maybe you have told me this before. Somebody told me he wanted to make the the whole sort of Justice League, like, sort of like Lord of the Rings, where it was, yeah. like, three long, epic movies. Yeah. And, like, and, and the studio didn't want to do that. And I, I just I just think that that was, like, you could have had something really cool there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you bring up a good, like, because, yeah, in Man of Steel, Superman was very broody. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a lot of people's complaints about Man of Steel. He does that, smile. Why is he so though. broody? He's he supposed to smile. be optimistic. And he's supposed to be the Boy Scout. And he's supposed to be like, yes, I'm here for truth, justice, the American way. They wanted to see Christopher Reeve. Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted to see. Again, expectation. And we don't fill that expectation. There's backlash. I mean, like, the other thing is, though, is that, like, so, like, I feel like a big reason Man of Steel got made was because Green uh, Green Lantern failed. Yeah. 
Because, like, well, two, the re, I think it got made because two movies failed. I think it got made because Superman Returns failed. And I think mm-hmm. it got made because Green Lantern failed. Because Superman Returns was, like, deliberate. We're going to set it in the Christopher Reeves universe. Brandon Roth is going to be the new version of Christopher Reeves' Superman. And when it came out, people were just immediately like, you didn't do anything original. This is just you trying to be Christopher Reeves. <laughs> and so like, so like when Man of Steel, they tried to go the other way. And then people were like, hey, this is nothing like Christopher Reeves. <laughs> and they were mad. And it's like, like, it's very hard for studios to deal with fans. They don't know how to react. But like, That's the other thing I... was is that Green Lantern, uh, which is... A, gets a little bit more hate than it. It's not good, but I feel like people react to it like it's horrific in some way when it's really just sort of like middling. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but that movie's trying real hard to be like the the MCU movies. Yeah, like Green Lantern's like we're gonna make it a fun, funny action adventure with quirky characters who say quips, and it'll be great. <laughs> and then it's also kind of a mess, and so it <laughs> fails. And they're like. Well, Christopher Nolan's movies made a billion dollars each. What? What? Maybe we can go back to. Maybe that's what our fans want. All right, serious and grounded. Let's do it. Let's go to Christo- Let's go back to Christopher Nolan, and try and get him on board with Superman. And Christopher Nolan's basically like, "No, I don't want to direct that. But I tell you what, I'll produce it, and my brother and the guy who wrote The Dark Knight will write it. Okay? How about that?" <laughs> and so that's what they did. And then he brought in. He he was the guy. Christopher Nolan was the guy who was like. I think Zack Snyder is the perfect person to direct your comic book movies. Yeah. Um, and so he brought in Zack Snyder, and they did Man of Steel, which was under the supervision of Christopher Nolan. So Man of Steel they didn't mess with. They did not mess with Man of Steel. But then they went to make Batman vs. Superman, and they started messing with it almost immediately. Yeah. Because the first thing that because he was going to make Man of Steel 2, and the first thing that happened was they came to him, and they're like, can you put a Batman cameo in this? And he's like, yeah, I can put a bat. That'd be cool. Yeah, sure. And he wanted, and he, he wanted Jason Momoa to be Batman in the beginning. Uh, yeah, I, I saw an interview with Jason Momoa about that recently, and he didn't want to play Batman. <laughs> oh, he didn't want to play Batman. That's funny. He didn't want to play Batman, yeah. Or I think he, he got called in for the audition, and they had, I, and they had already cast Ben Affleck, and he kind of knew that they did, but it wasn't, like, officially announced. And so he went to the audition... And he said he did the exact opposite of what anybody would expect Batman to do. And so that's where they figured out that they wanted to cast him as Aquaman. That's fun. Okay. Nice. You know, I I will say pause for a second. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that we're talking about superhero comic book movies and this is your show and I'm, I'm grateful to be on it, but like (laughs) I have friends who do do podcasts and I will I, I will listen to the point until they start talking about comic book <laughs> movies and then I'll stop. But you, Ruben, I love you. I, I appreciate talking with, with, uh, about you with, with this sort of thing. So I am, uh, I am, I am on board for this. Okay, Just cool. I, appre- I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate your forwardness and your honesty. Yes, uh, yes. And, and a couple of millennials talking about comic book superhero movies. Like, how many more podcasts can we have? <laughs> I mean... It it is it is it is a, it is part of our generation in a big way. Uh, we all grew up on them Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that. Like I was just thinking about um, 
Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. And, like, I think, like, in terms of, like, television or film, I think that it's the best Batman property. I am, you know, co- leaving comic books out of it. I think Batman the Animated Series is the best comic book property uh, or I- best TV film Batman property. I will always defer. I will always defer to the comic books. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, Batman, the animated series is a, is a classic, no it doubt. Is. Great. Although even there I have like, I, I don't believe in a per, I don't believe anything has ever made what I would call a perfect adaptation of anything. Like, I don't, I um, wouldn't call it perfect. Yeah. I would say it's, it's, it's just great. I like, oh, no, it I is just, great. I loved it. It's a lot of fun. I love back. Was, I love the Mask of the Phantasm movie. Oh, Mask of the Phantasm movies. Oh my god, it's incredible. That the behind the scenes, uh, they had this HBO behind the scenes of Mask of the Phantasm. That's when I found out that Mark Hamill voiced the Joker. And I remember watching the interview with him, and I was, I don't know, I was like like 12, 13 at the time. I was like, that's Luke Skywalker. Why is Luke Skywalker doing uh, doing the voice of Joker? Yeah. <laughs> But that yeah. I, I was like, wow, that's so cool. I remember telling my brother about that. And, and I can't remember if he believed me or not. <laughs> those are the two main things that he is known for. Yeah. yeah. Luke Skywalker and the Joker. That's what yeah. that's what Mark Hamill's famous for. Hey, you know what? If I get famous for one thing, I'll be happy. You know what yeah. I mean? That and I fair. think that Luke's I think that Mark Hamill said the same thing. He's sort of like, I wasn't expecting to be famous for anything. <laughs> So the fact that he's gotten, he's gotten this, this far, he's gotten two things that he's famous for. A lot of people, a lot of actors work in the industry. They don't get famous and they're good actors. They work hard. They don't get famous for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, it's a hard, hard industry, but also your objective might not be to become famous. You just want to do really good art. That's fair. You know, some people just enjoy acting and, you know, like voice acting is kind of the best of both worlds because then you get to act, but also you don't have to worry about people uh, bothering you in public. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I would love to do voice acting. That would be really cool. I think you should, man. You should. Sure. I I I have no idea how to get into the industry, but I I hear it's hard to get into the industry. It's it's hard. It's a little expensive. Uh, It's expensive to get into the industry. Like you need, um, you're going to need like equipment. You're going to need, uh, like I was looking into it. Actually, I can, there are a couple of people who I know who are voice actors. Um, I can put you in contact with them sure. and you can talk with them. Like between the equipment that you need, it's like four or 500 bucks between getting like a, like a good microphone and like a, uh, God, I can't remember the device that you use that you connect into the microphone into, and then into your computer. Then you need software to mix it up, but you can get free software anywhere to sort of to mix it and edit it and everything like that. But the other thing that you need is you need a reel, uh, like an R E E L. Yeah, yeah. stuff. But like the thing is, is like you need to book jobs in order to get a reel. But you can take like a voiceover class, or you could do some workshops, and you can get a reel out of that. And then you have that, and then you submit it. But the other thing is too, is like, you might do some like books on tapes and they don't pay you much at all, but it's like, you got to work always at thought it. I should do that job. Yeah. Yeah. I think you would be great at it. You'd be, you'd be great. You can do different voices. You have a really nice resonant voice. You got a nice nasally twang to your voice. Um, it's interesting so, to describe it. Yeah. 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 It's twang. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you have a good voice, man. Awesome. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
But so for people who don't know on the Easter thing, basically, Superman is Jesus. He dies in Batman versus Superman. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was really funny because it came out on Good Friday, which is historically when Jesus was crucified. <laughs> historically, yeah. Good and so, yeah. Only well, uh, uh, if you if you were uh, if you're in the the Roman Catholic Church if you're in the Eastern Orthodox Church it, it, it it's a week later usually some days some years it's like a month later for some reason it's weird but it but it did take him like three or four years to resurrect it took for, yeah. it took for... <laughs> <laughs> but you did like the tomb was shaking mm-hmm. like at the end of Batman Super it was like oh okay he's coming back. I actually have a I actually have a, a fan theory on that. I think have you seen have you seen Zack Snyder's Justice League? Yes. So like I think that he might I think they buried him where the anti life is. Oh. Like cause that cause like so at the in the in the history lesson we see that Darkseid lands on the planet and all the armies of the earth come to that land and the thing is is that none of the armies of earth that they show are from that land um they show the asians the germanic tribes and the and the african tribes arrive by boat and like then so do the so do the amazons and the atlanteans right i so i think that might be america and i think that the reason when Superman comes back, he's all like fucked up and can't like put things straight is because he has because he was buried in it. He's been slightly affected by the anti-life. And that's why he sets off Cyborg's um, defense mechanisms on his thing. And then mm. Lois shows up and it sets him right because love is the cure to anti-life. Mm. And he loves Lois Lane. So she can bring him back down, which and that's why it's important that in we see the flashback where I'm not the flashback, like the the future timeline scene. Um, Lois Lane is dead, and yeah. and Superman's by her body, and when that's when we see Darkseid put his hand on his shoulder, because now the thing that makes him immune to anti life is gone. Yeah. So now Darkseid can gain control of him. And that makes sense with that moment where the Flash comes back uh, to Bruce Wayne when he's in the Batcave, and he says, and he's like going through the, the the Flashpoint, and he comes through and he says, "Lois Lane's the key to everything." Yeah, exactly. So that makes, hey man, love conquers all, man. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> but yeah, um, well, um, go ahead. This is this is totally like just jumping back and forth here. But the one, the the thing about uh, the war in Iraq uh, <laughs> is is fun because there there is actually a part where Batman quotes Dick Cheney uh, in the movie, like the, the part where he says, um, "If there is even a one percent chance that he is our enemy," is like a paraphrasing of something that Dick Cheney said about invading Iraq. Right. Oh. <laughs> You know, it's kind of incredible just how far we've come in 20 years where like Liz Cheney and Dick <laughs> Cheney are 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 like the one people the people that we look to on the on in the GOP where you're like, "Oh, hey, at least they're standing up against Donald Trump." 
<laughs> um, I was just talking about this the other day, and like, same with Mitt Romney. Like, I never, I never imagined a, pl- a time when I'd be like, you know, that Mitt Romney guy. I'm really impressed with what he's doing right now. Again, another another uh, another Church of Latter Day Saints guy. Yeah. He's you know the the Mormons. I'll tell you what. I've met a few Mormons, and they are the nicest, kindest, gentlest human beings. Um, it like you'd ever want to meet a very understanding, very compassionate, very good people. Just, just they, they have, they have a very peculiar belief system. Um, yeah, no, he, uh, he, st- he, he, he voted against Donald Trump in the impeachment hearing. He, yeah. he walked, he walked with black lives matter at a March and he recently attempted to, fight a anti-trans bill in his state mm. uh he ultimately he was not successful uh as much he also as well voted for uh uh katanji brown jackson uh he voted for her to nominate her on the uh nice court so nice yeah man um uh, i never thought i'd say that <laughs> but but um no i i think i think the iraq war there, there have been so many movies where that has kind of been like that whole thing of like, even if like, if you're not with me, you're my enemy. I mean, you heard that in star Wars, mm-hmm. you've heard that in so many different uh, just movies that have come out, um, you know, with that. And, and again, I think it's because people want to see things in black and white. And when you come from that approach, it, 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 it's, it's, everything's not black and white in this world. It's just so, so many subtleties. Yeah. Um, so many, you know, so many different layers. Another movie that, uh, another Easter movie. All right. Uh, another Easter movie that I, that I like talking about ones that come out this time of year that I watch, but it's King of Kings and they usually okay. play it like on Turner classic movie or something like that, but it's like six hours long. <laughs> but like, so it's like, it's like one of those movies where you turn tune into and you can just kind of watch it wherever. Cause you kind of understand where the story is. Uh, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings is for me now because I've seen all of those movies so many times. If they just happen to be on, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll watch, I'll watch it from this part. Don't need to watch it from the beginning. Um, another movie that like part of it was good, but part of it was not, was The Passion of the Christ. I've never Mark actually Hill. seen it. I've never actually it, seen it. It's, it's, it's a cool movie. Um, like I saw it once when it first came out. I think I went with my girlfriend to go see it in the movies in the theater at the time. And um, dude, just brutally violent, like unnecessarily violent, like blood and gore and just like, you know, I don't, I don't mind seeing blood and gore and stuff, but like, I just thought that it was, it was unnecessary. Uh, But the thing that was cool was that everybody was speaking in Aramaic and it was subtitled in English. And um, I, I, I just thought that it, it was cool and it was kind of a different take on, on the movie and everything like that. I just wanted to see more scenes where it wasn't him getting tortured. Yeah. Um, but um, it's called The Passion of the Christ. It, like passion plays and passion movies are about God's triumph or God's failure. So what are you expecting, Dean? Um, <laughs> um I guess that's I'm trying to think of some, maybe some, some other, some other Easter movies. Cause this is he did uh, it very Roman with the, what's violence. that? I said he did it in the Roman way with the violence, you know, with the violence. Well, the Greeks, we, we'll we just had a guy some... describe it to us. 
Yeah, Mel Gibson. Yeah, well, exactly. He did it in the in the Roman. Like, all right, you're gonna actually see it. Um, Mel Gibson's kind of a. I, I, he's kind of a. Is it a sadist? I don't know. He's there's there's like he like all his movies are very graphic from what I hear. Yeah. Like yeah. even the ones with Christian messages. Like well, yeah. I, like I wanted to see that. I kind of want to see that Andrew Garfield one about the guy who was like a conscientious objector, but he went to war to be a medic mm-hmm. and he refused to carry a gun. Mm-hmm. And he, he said his whole goal was just to like try and save people. Mm-hmm. And it was because of his Christian values. He refused to do any violence, but apparently it's super graphic movie because like, it's, I forget. Is it world war one or world war two? Okay. Like it's him going into the field, trying to save people who've been real fucked up by war. Do you think violence has, like the violence that we see on television and stuff like that has desensitized us? I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, and the way I kind of think about this and I, I <laughs> this is the example I'll have to use is like, so, cause there's two train of, there's two trains of thought. One of which is like, so, so Zack Snyder <laughs> has comment, has actually commented that he doesn't, like think that PG thirteen violence is is good, like like the thing about watching a Zack Snyder movie, like superhero movie, versus like a Marvel movie, is that Zack Snyder movies are very honest about like the cost of the violence. Like when like in the Zack Snyder movies, like you see buildings go down, and the implication is people were in them, mm-hmm. and but in but like and people were upset about that. People like really upset about that. Um, So much so that people say it without thinking about how the movie actually played out. Like I hear people people always go, he should have taken Zod to the moon. But if you watch the movie, he tries to take Zod to the moon. (laughs) And that's when Zod throws him back to earth and they bring all those satellites with them. Well, I think it's just one of those things where it's when you see that image, it's just so from 9-11 that yeah, it's just it's it's I think it's just bringing up those sort of things. Too much, that I think too I, much for some I, people. Too much, right. Which like going back to 9-11, I mean, people have relived that experience probably too much with just watching it over and over and over again. That's fair. But here's 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 my follow-up point though, is that technically in the Avengers movie, the first one, um, a lot of buildings get destroyed. That's and true. And, it, and like, if you pay attention to the film, there are people in the buildings. The difference is, is that Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman and, these, and Zack Snyder's movies draw your attention to the fact that the outcomes of violence are not fun or mm-hmm. negative. Mm-hmm. But in the MCU movies, the same things are going on. And I'm not saying, this is not a jab at the MCU. It's just a different way to handle violence because, well, it's Disney violence. Mm-hmm. Like there's ships are still smashing through buildings. There's still an implied horrific collateral damage. We even get a confirmed body count later on in Civil War. But it's mm-hmm. like the messengers from Greek. Yeah. Like it's just people telling us about that. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing the cost. And so the Marvel movies, like people will be dying and things will be exploding and people will just be cracking jokes so that you're not thinking about it. Mm. And like the camera doesn't, and the camera shifts to like only the exciting or like fun parts. Mm-hmm. And like it doesn't, they only stop to 
knowledge, like some of the violence, if there's a specific story reason to do it, like they mm -hmm. do in Civil War. Mm -hmm. Like um, the same thing happens in Age of Ultron. Like they later they in Civil War they specifically reveal all the horrific like casualties of it. Mm -hmm. um, but so like that's kind of the thing is that like in an R-rated movie you're getting a more realistic version of violence, but in a PG-13 movie you're getting violence that kind of looks fun. You're getting violence that is in a fun sentiment. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's removed from the parts that make violence. Uh, uncomfortable or unpleasant and so like that's sort of like that's the question which of these is better for us are either of them good for us what is the what is the takeaway yeah i i i see both points there i just i i i don't know there's a part of me and i i don't have kids and i don't consider myself to be a sensor type person but i do think that there is a little bit of uh, like i think both are bad you know, because you, you just have, you have, you have one it is like what, what you're, it does like what you were saying is it's sort of, you don't realize the consequence of the actions. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is you, you see the consequence of the actions, but then you see the consequence of the actions and then you still, you survived that mm -hmm. and you get to go on. So like, it's like, it's almost like you've virtually experienced that violence. And I mean, I, I, you know, you think about people who have fought in wars, soldiers and stuff like that. that I, there is a point where killing, I think, sort of becomes like you could just kind of handle it. I mean, you of, know, from what I've from what I've witnessed and heard, it kind of sounds like everyone kind of responds very differently to it. That's true. Like, um, true. I heard about people who came back from World War II and, like, couldn't even, like, watch Westerns anymore because the sounds mm. of the guns and they wouldn't, they'd want to leave the theater. Right. But, like, my grandpa watched Westerns all the times, and he was in, but, I mean, like, he was in the tank corps, so maybe his violence experience were different. But maybe maybe your, your grandfather just had a, a different way of processing it. That's you know true. what I mean? And, and I compartmentalizing mean, it and everything. I mean, in fairness, what I'm told is that he was very different before he came back, uh, before he came back from the war. Mm. Um, he came back kind of quieter and more serious. Yeah. Um, he did loosen up as time went on, but he, but for, for a large portion of my life, he, he was uh, just sort of like, uh unconnected like he 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 would drink his scotch smoke cigarettes complain about stuff watch tv mm -hmm. um after my grandmother died he sort of like got a little bit more i don't know sociable it was mm -hmm. weird mm -hmm. like not immediately after she died but like after she died i guess he became more used to like I don't know maybe it's like with my cat after the other after my ex took the other cat my cat became more sociable and affectionate because there wasn't mm -hmm. another cat there mm -hmm. uh driving them yeah. crazy yeah not, a, not or, a, my grandmother's driving him crazy but like once the once she was gone like he needed other human connections right exactly that that kind of I, that makes sense how how um so was your grandfather in world war ii 
Yeah, he he died in his uh, 90s. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so how, like, what? When did he pass? Uh would have been. That would have been like 2014, 15, maybe 16. Okay. Yeah. So you're. Would have been right before I moved into this house. Oh, so the house that you're living in is your. Yes, your it was his. House. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, my um, uh, both of my grandfathers were in World War II, but I, I don't think they saw much action. Uh, my my dad's dad was a little bit older, and he was um, he was a cook actually in the army. Um, but uh, and they both passed when I was young, so I don't really remember them. But that kind of makes sense what you're saying in terms of like you know after you after somebody passes who you're like who you have to you talk with every day then all of a sudden they're not there you need somebody to talk to so that kind of that kind of makes sense have you ever seen the movie uh the ministeric goats yes i i remember i saw that movie with my brother apparently the the ending of the story is fictionalized but it is based on on real people yeah, I've heard that. I don't I remember coming out of that movie and being very confused about it and I, I didn't really like it. I I had a good time. Um really? so I mean because it is based it is based on some true events. Like the guy mm-hmm. who like the program they did was real. Um it was started by that the guy who uh oh man, the dude. The uh played by uh Oh my god, how am I forgetting? I know who you're talking Jeff about Jeff Bridges. Jeff, yeah. Um, his care, like his like his character is a real thing, but like in regards to what we're talking about now, he, um, his whole deal was like in the movie is that like he was in Vietnam, mm-hmm. and he observed a thing about his troops is that there was a number of his a number of men who weren't aiming when they were shooting. Um, and he hypothesized that this is because people are naturally gentle because people don't want to actually hurt people. Mm. So he basically created a whole program to try and come up with like non-lethal ways to operate in the military. Um, and and each, his plan was to like essentially create like super soldiers. Mm. But like Jedis. Like he literally wanted to create people with, with like enhanced mental abilities and whatnot. So... Right, and that makes sense because now I'm remembering the the whole thing with Jedi and Ewan McGregor was in it, and there was sort of yeah. this meta joke inside of it. Yeah, Ewan Mc... <laughs> that's right. Ewan McGregor was playing a, a real journalist um, mm. who actually that guy's interesting. Um, if he's well, unless I'm confused, and he's if he's who I think he is, then he's an interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, because the other things that he's famous for is he made a documentary called My Scientology Movie. <laughs> um, where he basically uh, it was a documentary about a guy who was excommunicated from the Scientology church. And basically he was telling him all his secrets and they would do these things where they would have actors and they would like reenact scenes from his, uh, from his memory of it. And he would talk about it. Um, and like, but like throughout the course of the movie, he's being harassed constantly by Scientologists. <laughs> the movie. Um, the other uh, thing he's famous for is that he's the journalist who uh, broke into the Bohemian Grove with uh, Alex Jones uh, in the 90s. 
Alex Jones. Oh, like, yeah, InfoWars Alex Jones. That's what. That's what. That was originally like Alex Jones's big break. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that they both I forget what that was all about though. Uh so basically they uh they snuck into a um they snuck into the Bohemian Grove, which is where a bunch of like corporate CEOs and politicians is th- basically a bunch of high ups in like industry throw a big party in San Francisco to have sex with gay hookers. Okay. Uh, and they invite presidents and politicians to it almost everyone who's been a president has at least been invited there at some point mm-hmm. there are pictures of uh there's pictures of everyone from jimmy carter and richard nixon and uh the bushes being there mm-hmm. actually apparently that was how they got so the funny thing is is that like alex jones and his guys decided to sneak in and like this guy and his team they just went in like the front and said, "Oh, we're here with the bushes," and that's how they got in. <laughs> but apparently, since then, they have put up way more security. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, but like, so essentially, like the, the documentary of Alex Jones is actually semi-hilarious because, like, the majority of it is just like hidden camera footage of like people's knees walking around a campground, and. Until, like there's literally only one part in it that matters at all, which is where they, which is where they caught the, um, the cremation of care ceremony on, on camera. Cremation um, of care. Yeah. So like they get in all these like hooded robes and they bring out an effigy of a baby and they bring it up to a giant, like owl Moloch statue and they say a thing about releasing our cares. It's very thelemetic. Uh, mm. Are you familiar with like the Church of Thelema? I no. <laughs> it's a weird like. It's a weird like. They're they're associated with Aleister Crowley. Um, it's it's all just it's all will to power shit. Oh okay. Um, like magic will give us power and make, but like. So like they take they take this thing and they this 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 fake baby and they they say like a thing about like releasing their cares and worries because part of like will to power and thelema is that like you can't ha- you can't waste your energy worrying about other people and their needs it's all about your needs so they throw it in the fire and like that's meant to be like this big thing like it's just a ritual that they do and like it's largely just it's largely just really creepy theater um like like, have you ever watched house of cards uh yes i did not finish house of cards but i have seen a a good portion of it i believe Uh, that i believe there was a a couple of episodes where they they did something like that oh i would i'm not surprised yeah I, i think i saw up to the pussy riot episode um which was a good oh. episode, so I don't know why I fell off after that moment. Uh, but that was that was what was going on in Russia at the time. Yeah. Coincidentally. <laughs> I mean, Pussy Riot warned us. Yeah. They warned us. They did. They did. I'm super alarmed by like all the conservatives who are like coming out in favor of Russia. It's um I'm not surprised. Um and here's why I'm not surprised. Because they're Christian nationalists? Yes. 
That's a, that's exactly why. And here's the thing, and it sort of connects back to what I was talking about, what we were talking about before with with religion. After and and there was a New York Times article that that sort of talked about this. After the fall of Constantinople in like the 15th century, it was like 1400s ish. And the Ottoman Empire took over Constantinople. Technically, the Constantinople was the head was was sort of well, there was Rome and then there was Constantinople. And that's where like sort of the centers of the Christian empires were. The center of the Christian empire moved to Moscow. And that's where you had the Russian Orthodox Church. And that's where you had the czar, which is Mm. the Russian name for Caesar. So interesting. The whole idea behind the Slavic population being united under like one sort of uniform uh, culture or heritage is is very much what is driving uh, Russia's want to take Kiev and 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 Ukraine back under because they view Kiev as that's their cultural center, technically, because Kiev was sort of the center of the Slavic empire for hundreds of years before Moscow was. And then Moscow became the center of it. And, and, and now, you know, after the Bolshevik revolution and everything like that, then that was sort of outlawed. And there's, it's, it's all sort of behind this idea of Christian, Christian nationalism. And I and uh, Russian and and I would say even coming from a Greek Orthodox sort of background, it's very patriarchal. The sort of the the culture and the background and everything. And Christianity is very patriarchal in in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But I would say that it, even even more so in Eastern Orthodox uh, religions, because the religion is so tied with the culture, and that's it. That's one of the differences between the Eastern Orthodox Church versus like um like a like catholic church because you have a catholic church you can have italians you can have the irish you could have uh german you can have mm, whatever uh, spanish or you know um you know mexican there are a lot of nationalities that all go to the catholic church but like when i went to church it was greek orthodox church so my the touchstone for like greek heritage also came through from the church that i went to so there's a, there's a lot more sort of tied in with with religion and with culture uh sort of I, I would say this is my own opinion I could be wrong um with uh with eastern orthodox religions and cultures and I think that that is driving the, the sort of the driving force and I and I think a lot of these very conservative people they just they just they admire that they admire that. Sorry, my dog was whimpering back there. I understand. Um, they they admire that that outlook on the world, and it makes sense. It makes sense that they would admire that. And it's and I, you know, I'm sure there's other things that are tied into it too. There, there might be uh, there might be some sort of collusion going on with sort of this Trumpian wing of the Republican Party and all of Trump's like underlings and he might be telling them hey go along with russia support russia in this etc etc um you know because he's tied in with putin somehow and and i'm sure that that's part of it too but uh, i gotta be honest i think if i feel like if donald trump were still president we might be helping russia right now like 
I don't think I don't think I don't think Russia would have been honestly I don't think Russia would have invaded Ukraine because I think Donald Trump was doing was doing his his like he was trying to dismantle NATO like that's, that's kind of what that's what I mean though like like it to me it seems very suspicious like like I almost think like I like like I shouldn't speculate that Donald Trump was always under the thumb of Putin but like, like when you, like why when shouldn't look, you? say what? Oh, I mean, why shouldn't you? Because I mean, it's it's technically it's technically speculation. I never gotten the never hard proof or smoking gun never came out. But mm. like still, like when I look at it, how it lines up, it really feels like Donald Trump was trying to help set up this moment, like. Even like the thing where like he got in trouble for trying to blackmail aid out of Ukraine, like in order to get shit from them to give them aid, like even like that, like hypothetically could be because he's been in it to weaken Ukraine all along. So that oh, his buddy, I never, I never thought of it that way. That's interesting. So that his buddy Putin could come in there and invade and like what and like of course it would benefit them to start spreading rumors about ukraine ukraine's corruption with hunter biden because then he can link his enemies together yeah. and and then next thing you know everyone's like oh the democrats are corrupt and on side of ukraine we gotta we gotta help russia it's mm. like crazy i I mean, maybe in some sort of alternate multiverse reality that 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 is actually playing out. I mean, if he had stayed president, I, I that was what I think would have happened. Mm. And like, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I could I could see that I could see that the United States would be supplying Russia right now. And oh man, oh my, I, I'll tell you what, like. I've never, I've never admitted this out loud, so I'm doing this right here in the on the Ruben Ryan show, the okay. Ruben Uncut. Um, if the United States, and I know that there's probably reason why this is just a bad idea, but if the United States were to engage with Russia, like boots on the ground, mm-hmm. I would be okay with that. <laughs> like if, if, which would be the start of World War Three, which I yeah. know just sounds terrible. But at the same time, like, you know, we could, United States could probably go over there and they could probably push Russia out, like, fairly quickly. At least I would hope that they could. I mean, so like. But the aftermath of that is probably, it's probably like, like going through the chess match of that move is like the the consequences of that is probably, it's, it's probably detrimental. Like it's it's not a smart move to do something like that my honest hope is that this becomes russia's vietnam Mm. well or like it's afghanistan because that's what afghanistan was for them like that that's kind of my hope here like Mm. because if it stays at that if it stays here with the ukrainians successfully like if we can just get enough shit to the ukrainians that they can successfully protect their homeland uh from the from these invaders then that would be the best case scenario because then putin can't say putin can't escalate it to nuclear war and we don't have to have world war three in general Mm. 
um, would just be if this became a quagmire for for Russia, where the Ukrainians just kept making it hurt for them. Well, the, the but the problem is like Ukraine's getting it's getting destroyed, and and, and people are leaving, and people are dying. It's absolutely just getting crushed. And the other thing is, is Ukraine that part of the that part of the world produces so much wheat that that is going to have a significant effect on food prices. Uh, oh, in, in the coming time. Oh yeah, oh, it man. produces like I like. I and I don't think it affects anything here in the United States, but. As we as we know with global supply chain, you know, one like with oil, one producer kind of goes away that affects the entire supply chain. So um, I, I I think China probably relies on it. Uh, parts of Europe relies on wheat imports from that part of the country. So I think, uh, and that could be some serious economic factors. You know, people start going hungry and stuff. There, man. Man, that's when that, that's when yeah, revolutions and that's when fight that's when wars start happening in other places too. So what I'm hearing is this war, it's, it's better for everyone if this war ends soon. Yeah, yeah, soon, soon, like, and and well, it, it might not be. It, it it actually probably would be better for Russia because then exactly they wouldn't have wasted so much money. They would be a loss, which would be a dent to Putin's ego, but. You know, yeah, I, I I don't know, man. I mean, it's a very it's a very complex situation. And as as a person who is generally speaking anti-war, like like my like the thing I the way I see it is I don't like I am anti-war. I don't think war is good. I think war should be avoided. I think the diplomatic response is always the best response. That being said. The thing that is ultimately, like, if I had to hierarchy the moral, like, right and wrongs, imperialist war is worse than defending yourself. Oh, yeah. Like, an invade, a country invades you, you have every, not only do you have the right to defend yourself, you should defend yourself. Sure. Because people who invade other countries potentially are invading multiple countries. And the only way to successfully prevent that is to have countries that do not tolerate imperialist action. Mm-hmm. And right now we're in, we're in a situation because the reality is, is that the, the difference between this and the war in Iraq is that when America took imperialist actions, we weren't directly trying to claim land or countries, just resources. Mm-hmm. The other big difference is that America attacked countries that don't have any friends. Yeah. Like Afghanistan, this hillbilly mountain, it's the Appalachia of the Middle East. <laughs> no, no, like compa- if you compare its stats to like other Middle Eastern countries, it is the Appalachia of the Middle East. Like the literacy, the driving, it's all worse there. Uh <laughs> No, like and it's it, so it, hilly too. There's so I mean, many it's mountains. mountains. It makes, it's, it's just yeah. a bunch of mountains. Um, but like in Saudi Arabia, they have lots of things wrong with Saudi Arabia. Lots of problems there. But like ninety percent of the women in Saudi Arabia can still read, uh, and they're also rich they as have, a country. They have well, it, the, the resources is what is what does it. It allows them to be corrupt. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Which, then and then you yeah. have Iraq, who no one else in the Middle East really liked Iraq because they were secular. Yeah. So when they came in there and crushed the secular country, all the non-secular countries were like, sure, fuck them. <laughs> Kuwait had issues with them. Saudi Arabia didn't like them. Afghanistan, mm -hmm. I don't know how they felt about them, but they probably didn't care. They probably didn't care. So we, we basically, Turkey probably didn't like them either. Yeah. And then Syria? We, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably not. But we mm -hmm. came in, we crushed the only secular country in the area, the only country that didn't let terrorists in because they were secular, and it, it, and now it's full of terror. That, well, that is talk about big blunders in history. I think that's oh yeah, that's that's definitely up there. I feel like society is reaching the point where invading other countries is going to be always a mistake. Mm. Like I don't. I think we've passed the point where economically it's beneficial. I think we've hit the part where society is interconnected enough that it's a problem. Yeah, you know, you, society hasn't realized it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's it's a we are so interconnected, like like economically, um, socially, that you know there there are always ways that we can kind of learn to coexist with each other. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a peaceful way where we don't have to go into somebody's because like, I think there's always, there's always like a, a way to sort of say like, hey, you know, okay, you have resources here. I have resources here. Let's try and figure out a way to trade. Uh, let's figure out a way to make things work. Um, but that's when, you know, ego just kind of gets in the way of that stuff and, yeah, and old, old time, old time thinking, you know, archaic the real wild card in this stuff is China. China is is absolutely is always a, is always a wild card. You never you, they they just they because play both sides, and you know they talk out of both sides of their mouth, and that's exactly what they can do. And you know what? To be fair, if I'm going to give forty five any credit for anything that he did in office, he did try to stand up to China. Now I don't agree with what he did. Mm -hmm. but so he, didn't, he didn't curtsy he didn't curtsy to them like oh and that's that's my big complaint against obama is that he one of my big complaints is that he very much uh placated to the chinese and but the thing is the chinese you got what how many billion billion people over there uh, a billion a billion consumers mm -hmm. you know and a billion consumers, they produce a lot over there. It's just economically, it's we're we're just tied into them. Like that's the thing. So like that's the thing about China and why I consider them a, a, a such a wild card, is because on the one hand, they could easily use the situation to like say, oh, we're going for Taiwan now, uh, which would yeah. put them in line with Russia. However, at the same time. China has a lot more to lose with a global disruption of trade than Russia. Mm, mm -hmm. if there's a global disruption of trade. It will set back so many of like the successes and like momentum that China has managed to to develop. China pro is not. They seem to me to be a culture or or maybe a a government that that will slowly and patiently wait they will wait generations 
to invade Taiwan, but they will take it over. It might not be in 2030 or 2040, maybe it's in 2050. And maybe they're just waiting for that right time. Because I think you're right about they don't want to over, they don't want to try and disrupt anything. They probably want to take it like at the best opportunity. Mm-hmm. But they do want to take over Taiwan. Yeah. They have been. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong. They could try to invade Taiwan like next week, you know? I mean, it's possible that that one guy they've got, that politician that keeps talking about it is just posturing to to appease some type of uh, groups in his in his in his in his society. But um, he could also mean it. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing, man. You never really know. Never really know. Yeah. But yeah, so Easter. East. So we got that was a big rabbit hole. We yeah. went we went a lot of places. Is that is that we kind of went down through that rabbit hole and we ended all the way up in China, kind of like a Looney Tunes cartoon. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we get we're jumping from Easter to comic book movies, from comic book movies to the war in Iraq to <laughs> we covered it all, man. To Russia. To Russia, Ukraine. Jeez. I mean, the only thing we didn't really t- get into, although we briefly touched on it a little bit, we didn't really get into lo- into to our into our own country's politics. Oh, we did. Yeah, we did a little bit. We did a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Fucking America. I know. I know. You talk about a binary. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Like, I mean, what would America look like? I mean, what would America look like if we were to have like somehow like we had like four or five parties? You know, I don't know if that'll ever happen. I mean, we do technically have more parties. Well, no, we don't. We have third parties who just don't have any power. It's it's it's, it's like it's like it's like uh, oh God, I don't know. It's like it's like saying, oh well, yeah, we have multiple internet providers, but <laughs> you know, you're gonna go with Time Warner or Spectrum. You know, it's like one of the two. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, the but the the. Democrats and the GOP, they're, they're like corporations. They are money-making machines. And they are not going to let go of that anytime soon. Yeah. And I know yeah. we have multiple parties, but like they don't hold up the snuff to the, to, yeah. to the two major parties. Yeah, and that's a... I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a serious problem. Um, like... I don't know. I was... In the... In the 2000 election, before I could vote, I got real into the Green Party. Although I couldn't vote at the time, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but um, Ralph Nader. Yeah, no. Yeah. I may have even... Did I... Did I vote for Ralph Nader the first time I voted? I can't remember. Um, in I 2000, I no, I, you're younger than me, and I couldn't vote in the 2000 election. Well, no, he didn't just run the 2000 election, though. He ran in the... Uh... 04. Yeah. Yeah, he ran in 04, because I, I remember him being on, I think it was Real Time with Bill Maher, or uh, Politically Incorrect, and they were, like, begging Ralph Nader to not run. <laughs> because they were, they were so hell-bent on trying to get Bush out of office and get Kerry elected. And that's kind of part of the reason how Gore lost in 2000 was that Ralph Nader took votes away from Gore. You know, they say that, they say that, but that implies 
that Al Gore lost Florida. Well, he that's true. That's true. He, I guess he did lose Florida, but he wouldn't have lost Florida if everybody that was allowed to vote would have voted. I mean, and if it wasn't such a giant clusterfuck. But... Oh, um, man, we were making jokes about them hanging chads for like a no. decade. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh God. How could you make voting this complicated, Florida? They did it. They did. They did. I don't, you know what? Let's just not be surprised that Florida found a way to do something that you couldn't possibly believe could be done. God, Florida is insane. They're a weird state. It, if, I love the vac- love the vacation there. It's great. Oh no, Got it's, some family that lived down there too. I had some family that lived there for a while. But yeah, no, Florida Florida's great to visit. Yeah. <laughs> but like they have the most like just crazy shit happens there. Yeah. Like like did you hear about that one politician who like died in a road rage related shooting? like he and like the thing was he's the guy who started it like he like he like he used his car to ram another car and then started shooting at that car from his car and then the guy in the other car pulled out a gun and shot him dead in self-defense like only in florida (laughs) you know what though as long as nobody was (coughs) <laughs> there were no innocent bystanders that were just, you know, that got hit with some, with bullets or shrapnel or anything. Honestly, <clears throat> that guy kind of got what he deserved. Like, <laughs> if you're going to live that way, you have to accept the consequences of what comes your way. I you mean, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Live by the sword, <laughs> gonna, not like, by the in sword. Georgia, in Georgia, today, in Georgia, they just signed the, um, you can carry a gun without a, you can carry a gun without a permit in Georgia. Like any permit at all? Because in yeah. Ohio, they just got rid of the concealed carry permit. Yeah, so I have don't... to look up exactly what it is, but you can carry a gun without a permit. Wow. Technically, and... in Ohio, I think you can now carry a gun without a permit. You just need a license. Which I think it's different. I... I don't know. I don't know. Um, all I know is um, it's... I, and I know Texas has the same law, too. But... Mm-hmm. Oh wait. So, okay, here it is. Um, news. It just came up on my on my uh, on my phone here. Let me wait for the uh, news to come up. Okay. Governor Brian Kemp, who is like he's like Ben Stein and and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's like Bueller when he talks. He's the driest, boringest guy ever. Governor Governor signs permitless handgun carry bill into law. You can carry, uh, allow Georgians to conceal and carry a handgun without a permit. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're putting through a lot of those around. It's weird. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. A lot of the legislation that Republicans are doing nowadays is very unsettling. Yeah. Um, like specifically, like it's it's weird to me that people don't understand the problem with legislation specifically designed to like like so like um the abortion law in texas that essentially like offers bounties for people turning in people who got abortion turning people into bounty hunters like that's that's a problem that's gonna start witch hunts that's 
that's like that's that's shit we already know doesn't work from the drug war mm-hmm. like because in the drug war you can get like a portion of someone's property if you give a tip successfully leading to their arrest for being a drug runner oh seriously oh yeah uh it's it's all messed oh man i got melted chocolate on my arm uh it's all a messed up it's it's all messed up and then like they um and then like the whole thing in florida the uh that whole that whole bill they're trying to to pass so you can't teach uh sex ed or talk about gender or sexual identities in kindergarten through third grade you know the grades they don't teach those things in anyways well, i uh, i don't remember learning about that stuff until i shoot grade cuz you don't it's performative legislation they're just trying to make you afraid that people are talking to your kids about sex. That's what's happening. Well, they're also using it to get out. They're also what they're really trying to do is they're trying to remove like books that are pro-gay family. Oh. Like like that's what they want to stop is like things that anything that makes a gay family seem like an acceptable or normal family. That's really what it's about. And but the thing that is really problematic with it beyond just, you know, the grossness of it um, is that it allows parents to sue the school district on the school district's dime. Yeah, what that they're actively trying to destroy education. Yeah, that's, that's that like even one lawsuit like that could devastate a school district. It's, well, now you're going to have the school district then dictating the teachers what they can teach in class, which they kind of already do anyways. But, you know, I mean, what what constitutes somebody talking about that stuff? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, where, where does the violation happen? And and how can you how can you control that as a teacher? You just have to basically shut down any sort of conversation that were to come up about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. if, if it makes somebody uncomfortable, well, I'm uncomfortable. I don't feel like talking about uh, uh, talking about this. Well, uh, OK, well, it might be something that's uncomfortable to one person, might one kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like kissing, like some. Oh, that cooties. That makes me uncomfortable. Don't talk about kissing. Mm-hmm. I don't like know. and like oh, it's, and there's so much double standards to it, like 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 the thing that bothers me is that they're they're actively misusing the word grooming they're trying to spread this this concept that like teachers are grooming our children to be to be gay and trans and it just, yeah. it's just like that's not how anything works that's not how number one that's not it's not grooming mm-hmm. it's it's not grooming is and david david mammon said something did you hear, hear he did quote? he did I, and, and his quote is ridiculous he's talking about grooming Grooming is when you have an older adult that is dating or in a relationship with a younger person and that they are uh, sort of manipulating their attitude or how they act or what they do. Educating somebody is not grooming. That is not the same sort of verb that it's not the same sort of thing that you're doing. It's not the action. Exactly. And while this is going on, fucking people in tennessee are legalizing child brides it doesn't make any sense and like the gop in tennessee is putting through a bill that pretty much actively legalizes child brides 
so yeah i saw you posted a story about this and i like i I think it was on tiktok or something about how the the bill in tennessee is like way worse than you thought it could be Mm -hmm. or maybe it was somebody else um i mean i know i did i did share a video of that um Um, and i i meant to look it up and i hadn't had a chance you know i've been meaning to look up the actual bill myself but it's it is alarming stuff and like the other thing is is that like we never like these same people aren't talking about the fact that child brides in america via um via evangelicals is a serious problem yeah um there are parts of this country where that goes on and they don't like the thing is it's all just a bunch of fabricated hysteria um and it's it's very problematic not not the child bride thing the the thing with the schools and the whole idea where they're trying to push the idea that they're the ones who are protecting children but like somehow this is what's wrong but child pageants aren't wrong and it's not it's not the child brides that are wrong it's the fact that teachers might mention that timmy has two parents i mean has two dads or two moms right and it's it's absolutely ridiculous and it absolutely is performative and you you talk about like which party is 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 like the Republicans accuse uh, Democrats of identity politics. Like this is, this is identity politics. This, oh, yeah. These are issues that have no substance whatsoever. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like that's the thing is that the, the right totally engages in identity politics all the time. Yeah. Like they, they tie gun ownership into their identities. They tie Christianity into their identities. They tie whiteness and traditional values into their identities yeah. and then they and then they push it on the rest of society yeah. and it's it's so it's so weirdly transparent and yet they don't seem to really understand what's going on and you know the thing though is is i, I guarantee you the majority of people don't care it's 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 a small minority that's 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 making a lot of stink and it's and it's causing this sort of big uproar i really don't think like if you were to take a, a, a poll of majority of, of Floridians, I, 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 I don't think they, they care. No, because they're too busy being on meth and wrestling alligators. There's, there's <laughs> too much going on in Florida to care about this stuff. Half the people in Florida either don't have kids or their kids aren't even in school. Like, they're, <laughs> they're either too old or they're, or, they're, or they're hiding in the bayou. There's not... Oh. There's, <laughs> Not the bayou, but la- the Everglades. I, I, yes, the bayou is in Louisiana. Yeah, I know yeah, what you no, mean. No. I the what Everglades, mean. not the bayou. <laughs> oh, wait, my, compu- uh, my computer's about to die. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we it's, gotta, we gotta it's gotta talking for a while. We should probably morning. call an evening. Yeah, I know. This is going to be a long episode, man. Yeah, I know. It's, I guess maybe it's going to be part one. Maybe we could do part two. Ah, the interview <laughs> ones are always long. The ones where I yeah. talk to other people are always longer. Yeah. It's true. They're like somewhere between an hour and like, I think the shortest one's like an hour. You're, you're con- the communist episode. It was like three hours, man. I had to listen Two to and a half. That was, that was long, long one. <laughs> it, it is a good one though. Yeah, I, it was a good one. I had fun. Well, All I, right. I, I, I hope this is uh this was fun and entertaining, man. And I, um, I'm happy to be on the show. Well, I had fun. Yeah. I hope other people enjoy it. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, I guess we'll say goodbye now. Uh, so, so happy Easter, everybody. Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, happy Easter. Crack some eggs. Indeed. Because that's how Jesus gets out of the tomb.
Oh, it's another wonderful sermon on a Sunday. Well, let's just go back to my office and relax. I... Oh, hi, Jimmy. What are you doing in my office? Be quiet, Pastor Wong. Pastor Ron. Jimmy, what are you what are you doing? I'm locking the doors, Pastor Wong. What, what what is what's going on here? I I don't understand. All right, Pastor Wong. I need to know. Why are you keeping Jesus from us? What what are you talking about? You just, just I'm literally giving you Jesus every Sunday. Where are the eggs, Pastor Ron? Where are the eggs?